Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Thanks so much for tuning in today. Uh, we have a, lot, a really fun podcast ahead of us. My good friend John Sauteropoulos came on the podcast and we had a really fun time catching up. Long overdue conversation between the two of us. It's been a while since we talked and we talked a little bit about some postseason baseball going on. We talked about his, his job experience and his experience up in Kent, Washington, working at Driveline Baseball. We also talked about John's year playing abroad in Japan. And we also did, a, a, John did a great job in the vicious minute at the end of the podcast. So I hope you really enjoy our conversation. Uh, John and I had a great time recording. I'm sorry. Uh, it's been about two weeks since this podcast has been recorded. So we did talk a little bit about some postseason baseball and it's a little bit outdated, but we did have some good opinions that still can apply to the teams that we discussed. Now, after John and I's conversation, if you're interested in listening to some NFL football talk, I do some good football breakdowns at the end of the podcast. I include Connor and I's week six. Uh, daily fantasy lineups, as well as some fantasy tips, a couple best bets for the weeks, uh, this week's slate of games. So uh, there's a lot going on right now in football. And so I just had to share some of my thoughts. So I hope you uh, get something out of that and enjoy it. So again, thanks so much for listening to episode 42 of Vicious Talk with Benny P, the feature podcast of the All Things Analysis Network. Please go and follow Vicious Talk on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and or SoundCloud. And also check out allthingsanalysis.com. Follow All Things Analysis on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And you can subscribe on allthingsanalysis.com to our, on our website. Uh, you can receive updates when we publish uh, new articles and podcasts by subscribing there. So thanks so much for listening. All right, now here's John and I. All right. Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. I got a fun guest on today. I'm excited to catch up with an old friend of mine. Both went to high school together. His name's John. Go Cubs, baby. Yep. Loyola High School, class of 2012. John, you know, John and I are, are uh, old friends from high school. We're catching up here. We haven't spoken in a while, so I'm looking forward to this. John is working as a hitting trainer, um, and he's a former business associate at Driveline Baseball in Kent, Washington. Great spot. Mm-hmm. We're looking forward to talking about that. John received his undergrad degree at UC Berkeley in English Go education. Bears. It's a great school. <laughs> masters. He got his master's at Cal State Dominguez Hills in negotiations, conflict resolution, and peace building. John, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Dude, I'm happy to be here, man. What a treat. Right? I mean, this was like one of the reasons why I started my podcast years back in the first place where my idea was like, I really wanted to be able to catch up with old friends. Like, I, and like yeah. not, not just like high school friends, but like even college people that I re- got out of touch with, like after graduating, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. this is like one of the side effects of just having a podcast. It's a great opportunity to just kind of have good conversations with friends that you don't normally really get to talk with as often as you'd like. So I'm really happy to have you on, buddy. 100% dude. I'm, I'm excited to get going. All right, dude. Well, you and I have a really good bond with baseball. So let's start there. Yes, we do. Yeah. So John and I played a little bit together going through high school, um, played a little travel ball together. And John, let me ask you about, because we do have the 2020 postseason starting right now. Yes. Second game, second games of the postseason going on right now. I wanted to ask you some of your thoughts on, on this year's postseason and then give me your world series predictions to start. Who are, you, who are the teams you're loving? Oh, dude. Wild question. I was just, uh, I was just talking about this last night, me and, uh, me and my buddy were at Applebee's and one it's, it's wild that there's eight teams per side exactly. in the playoffs, which crazy. is crazy. Uh, it's also crazy that the Marlins and are in the playoffs and the giants almost made the playoffs. Yeah. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, with that being said, 
Dude, I got to go with the Dodgers. Going to be going to make it to the National League. Like to happen at some point. Yeah. I like the Dodgers and they're just like far and away the best team in the NL. Uh, they're also like equipped for a three game series, which is also wild. Cause like anything can happen in a three game series, but the Dodgers, like with that being said, the Dodgers are good. So like, I think they'll advance to the round of the NLDS is what they're calling it. Um, and then from the AL, uh, dude, I love the Rays. They're also a number one seed. Um, so those are safe picks, but if I had to choose like kind of a sleeper underdog, I think it'd be sick to see the blue Jays play like the Marlins in the world series <laughs> and then everyone, yeah. And have like nobody watch. <laughs> yeah. And then it's just like, Oh, like lowest viewership in years. The Rays were, you know, that was going to be the two Canadian teams because the Rays were going to play in Montreal and then that, yeah. got, that got nixed. Yeah. I've, uh, I like the A's too. Um, I mean, I went to school in Berkeley, so I got the chance to go to a lot of A's games and they do a good job. Like, uh, allocating the resources that they do have to like putting a good team out on the field. And that's the same thing with the Rays, just like using statistics to make your team good. I, that's kind of what we're into up at driveline too. And the Dodgers do that too. They just have a lot bigger payrolls. So like it's, it's easier. <laughs> I know dude, the Dodgers, the Dodgers have that perfect happy medium of like where they brought in Andrew Freeman from the, uh, the Rays. To yeah. Basically implement all the great advanced analytics strategies that the Rays had. And then just, perfect them with the Dodgers and then also have the ability to just spend massive amounts of money when you need it. So yeah, you can, you can like spend money perfect. on the guys that you know are good and then exactly. also know who's going to be good. And then they're good at player development too, which is exactly, sweet. I mean, they, they really, they've been leading the the league in having young players come up and contribute to that big league squad over the last yeah. five, six years or so. So many great players coming up through that. But yeah, I like those picks. I'm watching some of this, this Braves and Reds game going on. Dude, the Reds. Look yeah. good. I like the Reds. I like the Reds too. I, I like the Reds. I like, I like the personalities on that team too. It'd be fun to see Bauer keep going and Joey Votto. Those two are just, they're always, a, they're always giving great quotes after their postseason. Yeah. After their the, games and stuff like that. The Reds pitching is kind of nasty, but like, oh, yeah. um, on the offensive side of the ball, they're yeah, don't too much other than like Suarez and Votto when he gets hot, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Like the reds, you're right. The lineup is going to be the thing that kind of gets them as far as they're going to go. But yeah, dude, I like those picks. I I, I picked my personally, I picked the the twins and the Dodgers and um, I don't love my twins pick after that first game yesterday. And the fact that Josh Donaldson was out after I, I I didn't know Donaldson was out until. Yeah. You got, you got to talk to me after these three round, uh, after this three game series. This this round's crazy. It's like 16 teams best out of three. It's like, it's so tough to really, like big uh, accurate prediction here because just yeah. the unpredictability of this, but really fun. I mean, we've never really seen three game postseason series. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. I mean, just like every game's going to be wild. All right, buddy. Yeah, it'll be sweet. Yeah. I- I'm really looking forward to it. A- and one of the reasons why I wanted to bring you on, cause you have great baseball opinions and not only do you have great baseball opinions, but you're also working in baseball a little bit. And so, yeah, I want this working experience that you're working while you're at driveline has been really cool to observe from the outside. And so that's why that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to bring you on is tell us about driveline baseball. Like what, oh, what, dude, what do they question. do and, and why is it like a cool place to work? What do you, what do you love about it? Uh, well, one, it's a great, like first it's a great place to train. So I trained there when I was still playing too, um, on the hitting and pitching side of things. Like I figured I only had so many like years left in my career. And I was just like, got to kind of sell out to make myself the best baseball player possible. And like, same as you, like I'm all on Twitter, like reading articles and stuff. Like Mm -hmm. I I gotta, I gotta give it, I gotta give myself a fair shot to like 
be as good at baseball, like as I can be. So that's what drew me to driveline. And then like, uh, a lot of Jason O'Charts like blogs and writing and stuff mm-hmm. that he would put on the site. I was like, Dude, this makes a lot of sense. Like, th- is he the only guy that's like on board with this stuff? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, there's only I one mean, way to find out. Radic- like the, the way that they've integrated their modern ideas and like strategies into the sport has, it's really been bleeding into a lot of the, the league, like the professional side of it, you know I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Really, like, a lot of guys are starting to adopt those strategies and ways to track their, like using hit tracks and all the, I mean, all the different biomechanics, like charts they're doing and stuff like that. Yeah. It's really, it's really been taken over the last, like, I would say what, three years, four years. Of, of yeah. It's taken off. Yeah. It, like three last three to four years, it was like slowly taking off and now it's just like exponential. Um, I mean, like there's just certain barriers to entry with like being able to pitch at the big league level and being able to hit at the big league level. Like you gotta be able to throw sure. the ball hard enough and you gotta be able to hit the ball hard enough. I, obviously it's not that simple. Um, but, when but you, like, well, when you break it down to the, the literally you're, you're, you're measuring those things. Like you're measuring exit velocities, you're measuring, of velocity out of the hand of pitchers. Like those are yeah. things that they didn't used to be able to. So like, that's not, you, you breeze past the fact that you, that's a barrier to entry, but you know, that didn't used to be because people didn't know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, simpler measuring <laughs> So I, it's, it's, it's interesting stuff, the way that they're, the, all the different stats and stuff that they're gathering from uh, players performances, basically. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's just like, um, like what can we work towards to give myself the best chance of being successful on a baseball field? And then, um, like most of the guys that come train with us on the hitting side of thing are younger right now. Uh, we got like a lot of local high schoolers and college kids. Um, and I mean, the lowest hanging fruit for all those guys is like one getting stronger and then like two learning how to swing the bat faster. And that's going to result in a higher exit velocity. Um, that's like literally everybody. And then like, you can talk about like kinematics and like sequencing. Uh, no, nobody's pelvis wants to rotate first. That's like <laughs> everything I see. <laughs> that, that, um, that pelvis rotation breakdown you had on one of your uh, blogs, dude, was, or your, you broke down your podcast, right? Yeah. Dude, that was interesting stuff. I like that. You, Thank you. Know who you man. I love, you know who I love their pelvis, who, who, who. Their pelvis in the, in the big leagues is Harper is he's un. I think he's the best at it. I think. He, yeah. His is, his is nice. Pelvis, the way he moves his pelvis to generate power is like, it's, it's an unusual swing because of how violent that, that rotation he gets, that torque he gets with the yeah. half. It's really neat. I mean, yeah. I, I thought he was one of the first guys to really have that kind of modern swing where it was just like, what, it, what this guy's swinging out of his ass, but he's also like, he's got great bat to ball skills and he's using like, I don't know, all yeah. the power comes from his bottom half. Yeah. He kind of broke the mold. Like everybody's seen those swings on YouTube, like his high school swings <laughs> where he just has like an insane forward move. Um, yeah, like th- th- those are sick. Um, but again, like it's important, like you just won't play as long as you want to, unless you're, you're throwing or hitting the For ball sure. hard enough. Um, <laughs> and you know, the opposite side of that is Pujols. Pujols used to yeah. have that and now he doesn't, he has none of it. Dude, I was looking at his, uh, Actually, my roommate up here, uh, we went to Cal together and he's, uh, he works for the Phillies now as a consultant, uh, but he still works for driveline too. He's on a split contract and we were watching the angels game and he, I was just like, dude, you got to look up who holds his stats. <laughs> he's got like, he's got like a 77 WRC plus like lowest, lowest out of all oh, yeah. qualified hitters. And then like the last five years, man, it's honestly sad though, dude, so because you look at, you look at that decade with the Cardinals, he was literally the best hitter of, uh, like one of the best hitters, like one of the best decades of all time, actually. Mm-hmm. And now he's just so bad. When they compare the trout, him. when they compare the trout to Pujol stats, they're so close. The first yeah. ten years, like so close. 
Dude, it's it's sad. I don't want to talk about it. No, Uh, (laughs) he's fools, man. It's like I mean, that's how players are supposed to age. Not like Barry, yeah, dude. He's gonna get to 700 home runs though. He may. Um, this year he signed through 2022, right? Yeah, this year didn't help though. Um, no, no, no. He signed. I think next year is his last year, his last contract. Uh, but he uh, he was gonna get. I don't know if he's gonna get 700 just because of this year because of the shortened season. Ah, uh, if, like, if he hit like 25 to 30 home runs this year, which isn't out of the question, just because he's Pujols. It's yeah. Like, he um he would have been he would I think he would been would have been within reach next year of getting it. Ah. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think next year is his last season with the Halos. Hopefully, yeah. I'd like to see him get. I'd like to see him break the record. I think that'd be sick. That would need. He probably need like six or seven, or he increases bat speed. Pools, if you're listening, <laughs> come to drive. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man, that's the one thing about him too. It's like I don't know that he's putting in that all that extra work that he was putting in before just on his body because I think it's, yeah, it's just been breaking down. But, I'd have to look into him. I bet his, his exit velocity is probably down and he probably chases more pitches out of the zone probably. and whiffs up more pitches in the zone. That's like I want everybody to know. that starts I, I doing bad. To not look yeah. at the stats to know that's true. <laughs> yeah. All right, buddy. Well, let's talk about driveline more. Tell me, how'd you find this job? How'd you, what was the application process like? What were the initial kind of, what got the ball rolling? Yeah. Good question. So, um, my, my roommate at Cal Max Dudo, he, uh, so after I played my three years, um, I went to Domingo, I graduated semester early from Cal. I went to Dominguez Hills as a graduate transfer. And then Max played three years at Cal. And then he went to Menlo as a transfer for his mm-hmm. fourth season. Um, it's a good and at Men- yeah. So at Menlo, his hitting coach was Jason Ochart. Oh, okay. And then Jason eventually ended up becoming the director of hitting at driveline. So then when Max got drafted by the White Sox out of Menlo, he went up to driveline. Uh, he originally started working in the warehouse actually, but he would train. So he'd work in the warehouse uh, and he would train. And Jason was the coach that the director of hitting there, like on the floor, on the hitting floor every day. And then I, I was just like, saw a lot of Jason's tweets and I hit Max up and I was like, dude, I got to go train there. So before my Dominguez Hill season, I spent just a weekend. I wish I would have stayed longer to be honest, but like I was working and stuff. Um, I spent a weekend there and just like wanted to expose myself to everything they do. Um, and I was like, damn, like if I end up playing again after this season, I'll go back there again. And then, um, I, after Dominguez Hills, I played a season in Japan. Yeah. And then after that, I think it was 2018 season. Uh, I was thinking about going to play in Japan again. So I came up to driveline. I was like, I'm just going to train here. Um, I came up for the month of February and I trained February until March. And like, uh, I was trying to get a job in Japan, uh, see if it happened again. And then I also saw that they were taking applications online and I was like, all right, like got to put my chips in a couple of different baskets. So I applied, uh, for the business associate position, which is like mainly customer service, uh, answering emails and phones, uh, like facility tours. And then, uh, we do like stuff baseball wise too, but it's pretty fun. Like it's good entry level job in baseball. So I applied to that. And then I ended up, I was like, if I get both, like I'll probably go play. If I get one or the other, that makes the decision really easy. If I don't get either one, then it's just like, I guess I don't know what I'll do with my life. Uh, but I ended up like not getting another opportunity in Japan. Um, and then, uh, I got the job at driveline, which was sick. So I was super excited. Um, and then I ended up just not playing again. There's like still an off chance. There's like a one, one to 2% chance. I might try and play again just for fun. I want to play in like the Picos League and yeah, dude, uh vlog it or something. Rats. You don't want to hang it up. You don't want to. Yeah, hang I'm not like I haven't officially hung them up. You know, like I've tied <laughs> the laces together, but I've actually uh yeah. So that's like how I got the job at Driveline. Um, started in the the customer service. 
worked there from like April until the end of uh, 2019. And then when the year flipped over to 2020, that's when I became a hitting trainer. So I've been a hitting trainer um, since since January. Uh, it's super fun. Like we we had to shut down the gym because of coronavirus from like March, and then we reopened in July. And we got a new facility. I'm not sure if you saw that, but like yeah, yeah I've seen the pictures. We a new facility. Nice. It's really yeah, it's really sick. Um, so when I came back in July, uh, we we were moved into the new facility. And that's where we've been since. Awesome. Yeah, dude. I saw the I saw the new pictures of the gym, dude. The weight the weight training stuff is what's key. It's unbelievable, right? I mean, that stuff yeah. is all brand new, right? I mean, that that's what makes the difference for some of these guys. No, I mean, being able to not only train the ba- and and learn to like, get the right training for baseball, but also being able to do the physical side of it a little bit better, right? Yeah, d- yeah, definitely. Like we have an integrated process. Like we have a strength staff and then a hitting staff, and then we have a physical therapist too. Um, so but it's a complete package. Yeah. So complete package. You uh, email us and I'll give you prices. Uh, a lot of kids just need more, more lean body mass. Like they need to get stronger. Like same thing. Like yeah. we don't, we're not quite sure what the barrier to entry is on the strength side. Uh, but like, we'll, we definitely know when you're not strong enough. Mm-hmm. Um, with somebody like, like me, when I was training, like I was already pretty strong in like the three conventional lifts, but like needed like more tra- transverse plane expression of power. Like, mm-hmm there's that pelvis again. Right. Uh, so like, that's what, that's what we'll tell you though. Um, and then kind of allocate your training economy accordingly, uh, as well as like coach you up. But for the most part, like guys need strength and to build mass. And that's like the big three, like deadlift squat, um, bench press, but then like more experienced athletes come in, uh, they'll do like, like trying to get more marginal gains in the weight room, as well as like work on some more skill specific stuff possibly. And then just like maintain the amount of strength they have. But for the most part, like, a lot of people could, could benefit from gaining strength yeah. as well. So what's the skill range you guys typically see? You're saying that it's, it's for right now, the hitting side's more on the amateur side. And you think some of the pitchers that come in are, pretty, are typically more, a little bit more advanced or. Yeah. So the, 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 the range is the same. Uh, so pitching is like eight to nine years older. Um, like just the program in and of itself, we have high schoolers, like 15 year olds all the way up to like Clayton Kershaw. <laughs> so like the, the skill, the skill range is big uh, on the pitching side like that. And then on the hitting side, same thing, like high schoolers. And then we've had, we've had a couple big leaguers come in, um, but like not the well, same Bowers, distribution. Like the, the name, the name brand that he's the, he's the yeah for guy, pitching, though, right? Yeah. yeah. For pit. Yeah. Definitely for pitching on the hitting side of things. We have some minor leaguers come in. Uh, hopefully we'll have some more come in this off season. They're having an instruct. So like most of the minor leaguers are going to be, be taking instructs probably. Um, but after that, like January and February, uh, hopefully more guys will, will come in. I think it's just kind of a matter of time. Um, like word of mouth, people actually like coming and hitting with us yeah. and like realizing that they're getting better. How neat of an experience is this for a little, for, for the younger kids that maybe, um, they're more on the, on the lower side of that range of experience level and, and talents and talent level where they're getting an opportunity to maybe improve more drastically than some of these guys that are trying to improve more on the margins. Yeah, no, it's, 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 dude, it's great. Like you come in and your group is after like a double A player who's hitting the ball, like 107 miles per hour. Like that's cool. You get to see like what it looks like, I guess. Um, to be and like, basically. yeah, like everybody's also like really nice. Like no, nobody's like standoffish or anything that comes to train at driveline. So like the interactions on a day-to-day basis are pretty cool. Um, and then like, kind of like clubhouse culture, like little conversations here and there, like even if they're not important at making you better at baseball, like there's still the kind of memories. Yeah. yeah, Kind of memories you're going to, you're going to take back with you. I feel like those are the kind of memories that, that 
plant seeds to grow people like yourself, the people, the baseball rats, the baseball, the baseball rats, the ones that want to keep it going. The ones that want to work in the sport, the ones who want to play as long as they can. Those are the kind of experiences that people really value. And they remember, I think. Yeah, I think so. We, we got a good culture at driveline too. Like, um, like everybody works hard, but like everyone's got pretty good sense of humor too. Very cool. What's your favorite part about working there? Uh, dude, pretty much everything. Uh, I mean, like we, we work a lot of hours, but that's because we all like really like what we're doing. Uh, if I had to pick you, one, dude, you were working driveline before you were actually working driveline. You, you, you would stay in the cages all dude. You would stay yeah. in the cage like until midnight if you could. I mean, it doesn't, I yeah, I, hours, I just did it. Hours don't matter. Yeah. The hours don't matter, man. Um, <laughs> favorite part, dude, that's a difficult question. Um, I mean, it's all good. Like the, the, we placed a pretty big emphasis on continuing education. So like just learning more, uh, and like being able to like articulate that to players as well as like anybody else that's important. I think it's probably the best part to me. That's awesome. Yeah. Those experiences are going to be really great for you and the people that you're, you're working with there for sure. Yeah. So you talked, you talked about a little bit about your, your Japan experience. So you played one year in Japan. I wanted to ask you about that. Cause yeah. I, I haven't talked to you about that since, since you went there and dude, that looks so neat. I was like, I was trying to watch every video of you. I could dude. Yeah. Really cool. So there are some good videos though. Tell, tell me about this, dude. How'd you learn about that opportunity? How'd you find it? Yeah. So at my year at Dominguez Hills, we had a, a coach from a, a university in Japan from uh, Tsukuba university. He was doing his like sabbatical year at Dominguez Hills. And okay. part of that year, he was, he was January to January. So part of that year was he would go to English class at Dominguez Hills, ESL or ELL English second language, um, from like nine to three, like it was full English class Monday through Friday. And then after that he would come and he was like an assistant coach, uh, for the baseball team. And it was his job to like learn about American culture, American baseball, and then take that back and like talk to whoever at his university about what he learned. And he was the man, like when he first came, his English was bad. Like didn't really speak in English, but then like, that's dangerous though. When you get those guys, you teach them the bad English. <laughs> yeah, exactly. As like, as the season progressed and like, especially after like, once he got to like eight, nine month mark, like his English was pretty good. Like wasn't, wasn't fluent by any means, but like good enough to hold different conversations. Um, and he was like, I was shagging BP one day. I was having a good year. And then, um, he's like, Japan needs your power. And I was like, dude, you tell me when and where, man, I'll come out there. Uh, and then he's like, oh, there's a good league that you can play in. Um, and like, we just need to make a video and like, I'll send it out. Um, so after the season ended, he was still in LA. He lived like fairly close to me. He lived in Gardena and I, I was living at home in Palace Verde. So it was only 20 minutes and, uh, I keep in touch with him. Um, uh, and like I made a video, he sent it out and he was hustling for me. He had like a scout friend, um, that he would send it to. And then his scout friend would send it to like the different teams. And then I remember waking up one day and there was like messages from him. And he was like, can you be in Japan? Like, on um, uh, like August 20, August 20th for a, a tryout with three different teams. And it was like literally like the next Monday. And I was like, yeah, I'll buy my, I'll buy my ticket. Uh, I'll buy my ticket this morning. So I bought my ticket at work. Uh, and then I flew out there. He was still on sabbatical. So even though he was in Japan, like spending time with his family, he didn't have to work or anything. So, um, he drove me around. I tried out with three different teams, but the team that wanted me the most was the first tryout. And, um, it was wild. Like I'd never been in Japan before, but he was the man. He took me around and like made sure I took good care of me. Everybody in Japan is super nice too. Like it's an easy place to be a foreigner. Um, 
and I was hearing bombs at this child, dude, like <laughs> power that I, power that I never had before working on like, that's like, awesome. Two hours sleep. Is it the same? Uh, like, is it the same like equipment? It was the same. Yeah, same, same, like same, pretty much like environment and everything. Like, there's no juice balls or anything like that. Uh, dude, I don't know what it was, man. Because the funny thing is, when I when I end up playing for that team, take BP, I would take BP at the same field, and like I was never able to hit balls as far as I did that one day, dude. It was wild, <laughs> but it was sick. Everyone's like, dude, this guy has juice. Yeah, uh, my pelvis was supposed to be working. Uh, so I tried it with them. I tried it with two other teams. Um, and then I ended up signing a contract. And then I flew out there in February. So what's the league's name? What was the league? Uh, the, uh, the BC League. Okay. And uh, it's independent. There's 10 teams. There's a North and a South Division. Um, I was in the South Division. No, I was in the North division and we play, it was five teams in the division. So we basically play the same four teams over and over again, which is, which is cool. Uh, like you get to know the other players. There was a couple other, uh, dudes from more of a, America. Like a, I feel like it comes more of like an environment, like a cohesive, like everybody knows each other kind of environment. Yeah. A hundred, hundred percent. Um, and then, yeah, so I played, I played in that league. It's like, I think it was, I want to say like 72 games. Like it was, it was Damn, a lot of games. Lot. Yeah. We would play mostly on the weekends, um, like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and they were all one o'clock games for the most part. And we, which means you're leaving at six o'clock you drive three hours away. You start your warm up at nine. So it's not like college baseball in America. You start your warm up four hours before. So like nine, 10, 11, 12, one, the game starts and then like game goes and then you got to get back on the bus at like eight, nine and you get home at like, well, <laughs> yeah, long days, dude. You got, yeah, you got to love the game, uh, but it was fun. You and your teammates probably had some funny times then. Yeah, the, the uh, stuff. dude, the bus, the bus culture is a little different in Japan. Uh, you can't, you can't really be a slap dick or anything. Um, oh, it's, it's a little more like reserve, reserved would be a good word. Uh, so I, I would just watch like a lot of YouTube and stuff. Uh, but we definitely had some funny, some funny things on the field. And like I said, everyone's super cool. That's awesome. It was an experience that you would definitely recommend to um, other other like players considering playing abroad. Maybe don't have an opportunity to play here professionally, but looking to continue their careers abroad. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. I mean, like it paid okay too. Like paid way better than any ball here. Um, I think I was That's neat. Yeah, I was making like fifteen hundred dollars a month. Um, nice, which is which is good. Like that livable. Yeah, that's it. It's better than minor leagues. It's better than like any independent ball here. unless like you're playing in, in like a good independent ball league. So it was like livable. Uh, you break even, you get to play baseball in another country. Um, like off chance of making it to the MPB is kind of cool too. Like slim as it might yeah. be. It's yeah, still, so it's still, knew, it still keeps you going. I knew you weren't in the NPB, but in our segment later, when we're doing trivia, I have a couple MPB questions for you. Okay. I'll, I've been brushing up. All right. Just, just a couple, but dude, this experience was really neat. I, I, I really enjoyed watching some of the stuff that you were going through. So, um, tell me about the Jap, the Japanese culture. And like, did you, did you pick up the language? Well, like I saw you were speaking it pretty well. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I would, I would study. Um, I had a friend from America who lived, taught English in Japan for a year and his Japanese was pretty good. If like tennis fluency, he was probably at like six and a half, seven, um, and then my, my Japanese friend Taka, he would teach me when he was still in America and like, I got like a sweet study plan. Um, and like, I got the, the language is complicated. Like, so you have like the hiragana and the katakana, which is like ABCs basically like symbols, but they're the same exact symbols, just different, like same exact 
letters, but they're different. They look different. One is for like foreign words and one is for like native words. And then you have the kanji, which are like the symbols. Um, so you gotta learn how to read the kanji, but they don't even learn how to read the kanji until like they're, they're in seventh or eighth grade. But I started to learn it too. So like, I think at my peak, I was, I was probably like a second grader. Like, which is, which is good. Like you, that's not bad. You can talk to, you can think about talking to a second grader and you're like, okay, like they, I can like hang out with a second grader. Like we won't have too much to talk about, but like, we'll have fun for five minutes. Uh, um, so yeah, I would study and, um, just like the amount of language you're exposed to. Did you learn some of the colloquial stuff around being around the baseball field? Yeah. The, the cultural stuff is, uh, it, it's pretty different, but like once you're there for a month, it, it's pretty much like normalized. Um, and then if you're a foreigner, you kind of get like a free pass too. So <laughs> yeah, I kind of, I kind of do it a while. Like, that, that's like a bonus. make sure I don't, yeah, I don't mess anything up. Yeah. That's a bonus. Cause there are countries that um, they, they wouldn't treat an American that well. Like my dad had a story about when he played ball in Australia, um, yeah, he experienced some like racism in Australia. Like there was an umpire that called a strike on him that hit the dirt. And my dad was just like, didn't I hit the dirt? And the umpire, <laughs> the umpire looked at him and said, get the, get your ass in the box. of him, You filthy American or something like that. Yeah. A while like, that stuff's that stuff's like that, that, that could happen to you. Like if you go abroad, so definitely want to pick the right environment. And it sounds like, yeah, no, they, they were cool. I mean, the, the, the umpires definitely weren't very good, but like they weren't, they weren't ringing me up on purpose. Oh, dude, <laughs> they're just, no they're just umpires. Cause they're in indie ball. <laughs> dude. I was, um, when I was playing at Holy Cross in college, um, my last couple of years. So I, I, when I, my first couple of years, I was, I was trying to walk on as, um, on the varsity and yeah. I got cut my second year where, um, I was going to make the team. And then basically, um, the coach said that as a walk on, they didn't have any extra spots cause they, they over, they, they brought in like 15 freshmen that year or something. Yeah. Like um, but so I ended up playing club ball and the umpires in club ball, dude, were, Oh my God, bad. Like brutal. Like, brutal. Yeah. brutal. You gotta make sure you don't get to a two strike count. <laughs> right. I used to, I know I would like swing at bad pitches because I was like, I can't get two strikes. Yeah. That's what happens in the minors dude. guys. Uh, you gotta make it out of like high a, uh, or else you just keep getting rung up and then like your plate discipline goes yeah. down and then people see that your plate discipline goes down, but they don't realize that's because umpires are bad. <laughs> Dude, the cool thing about work, uh, playing in club ball though, is they let us use BSR bats. So yeah. I was, I was in tanks with the, H2, yeah. the TPX H2 and then some, some, a couple different Omaha bats. I was using, I was always yeah. a TPX guy. All right, buddy, that dude, that, that Japanese experience was awesome. So tell me your favorite thing about it or is it, just- uh, about Japan, uh, it was pretty fun, like learn, learning, uh, learning a new language and like self-studying. Um, I would, so I, I would track my hours spent like studying. Um, was it a culture or like a language that you had always kind of had interest in? No, not like, not at all. When kind I first of, started studying, because not, not because I didn't want to just like, yeah. wasn't exposed to it a lot. Um, when I first started studying Japanese, I was like thinking about all the words I know in Japanese. And I was like, I literally know like two words. Like, this is like, this is ground up studying, like literally from ground zero. Um, so I track my hours because if you get to like, yeah, if you get to like a thousand or I think it was 1500, that's when you're supposed to reach like intermediate proficiency. Mm -hmm. I think I, I think I ended at like 550 which is like about right. Cause I said I was at second grade. Um, but like, then you start to realize that like pretty much any skill is just like time allocated towards that skill. Mm -hmm. And then like when you're not, allocating time towards the skill, like 
you realize like, I'm not really doing anything. <laughs> so like, just, just like understand how to manage my time with school and then like taking that to, to other parts of life. Um, just like be more productive and then living in a different country. Like I even think about it sometimes it's just like, it's kind of a wild experience, especially like nobody spoke in English. Um, you got to find ways to keep yourself busy. Um, Do you like the food, but like, yeah, it, it, the food, the food's sweet. Um, it's hard to get full with some of the food. Like I, I used to order a lot of food. I would be like, dude, that's a lot of food. It's like, we're going to be on the field for seven hours. Like, I'm not going to be like, I'm not going to try to pinch hit on an empty stomach. That's uh, yeah. So the food was cool. And like just the, the cities like going around my, my mom and dad and sister were able to come visit, which was cool too. So we went around That's to awesome. Tokyo, but yeah, it was, it, it was all around. It was, it was a good experience. Was Tokyo, was Tokyo your favorite city? Yeah. Tokyo's Tokyo's a trip, man. It's just like literally just like the movies. Uh, and then when I got hired at driveline, I had to go back and pick up some stuff from Japan. I convinced one of my friends to come with me and we went on like a, like a touristy trip, which was sweet. We went down to like Osaka. Um, I forget the other one down there. And then we came back up to Tokyo and like, we saw a game of the Tokyo dome, which was sweet. And it's just like, so where's the coach where's the Koshian stadium? Is it, is that Koshin? Koshin? Yeah. The Tigers. Ooh, I think that might be South. That might be in Osaka, but like, I think six of the teams play in Tokyo, like two are North. And then I think the Koshin Tigers are South. I'm not a hundred percent sure though. Yeah. um, I recently saw that ESP. I mean, I I had already heard about the, um, the Koshin high school tournament through a book. Oh, high school tournament. Yeah. Yeah. So the, uh, the arm by Jeff Passan, the, the ESPN guy used to be with Yahoo. He wrote a book called the arm. He talked a lot about the coaching tournament. And then they also did an ESPN 30 for 30 on the coaching tournament. Dude, that thing, yeah. that that's a vicious, like they're like real strict the guys. The look, players like real, like, real Oh, it's South. Okay. Work. So it's in Osaka. Yeah. It's in Osaka, which is okay. South. Uh, yeah. The guys will throw 800, 900 yeah. innings in like two, in two weeks. Dude, the Matsusaka, the Daisuke Matsusaka performance is like legendary there. I think he's yeah. like 200 something pitches in like two days or something like that. Or like, yeah, something it's ridiculous. A, dude, it's a countrywide tournament. It's like single elimination high school. Uh, and then they fly the, the final 16 into Osaka and they play at the, uh, the Koshin stadium. And people like they fill a stadium, like 50, 60,000 fans to watch high school baseball. And it's broadcasted they, they on TV. It's like March Madness, basically. It's, like, it's, it's, it's crazier. It's more intense or like it's more of an event, even bigger than that. I think oh, somebody I told like me, I th- yeah, I think somebody told me the championship game, 50% of the entire country watches on TV. Damn, dude. Like, so like, think about 50% of them. Like, I don't even know. Like, I, I would guess There's like 10% of the entire country watches a Super Bowl, but 50%. And if you win, you're like an automatic superstar. I was friends with a guy on another team who actually won the Koshen. Um, and he said they just like parade you around and you're like superstar forever. That's so cool. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Japanese players that come to America always talk about like, dang, I just missed out on the Koshen tournament. Like, I was like, you know, Gotani was talking about how he just, his team almost went to the coaching tournament. He, he, they lost the last game that they needed to win to, to go. Yeah. Uh, and it was like the biggest heartbreak of his life. He said, yeah, they play, uh, they play the anthem after the games and like one team is they're all crying. They all shave their head for some reason too. Yeah, and then the other team is just like super pumped up. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's crazy. Dude. They, they played on TV and stuff. So you see it everywhere. Yeah. looks like an awesome tournament. I mean, that, yeah, that would, uh, it's, it's literally one of a kind. Yeah. I think it's a little bit of a, a cool glimpse into the Japanese baseball culture as well. Just like how 
valued that the that baseball the sport in general is inter- intertwined with Japanese culture. Like baseball is like a bigger deal there, I think. Am I am I wrong in saying that or yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe. culturally, it's just a way bigger part of the culture. It's like, uh, you can't really compare it to anything here because it's the only pro sport they have. Like, mm-hmm. they have basketball, they have soccer, but like, if you, combi- if you combine like the popularity of like the NFL, the MLB, the NHL, and the NBA, like you combine that into one sport, like all that viewership goes to baseball in Japan. Yeah, it's it's a cool. I I that's one of the reasons why I would like to go to Japan because yeah, you got to go visit, dude. After yeah. the coronavirus goes away, right. you got to get out there. You got to go to a game too in the Tokyo Dome. It's amazing. Yeah, dude, that that Tokyo Dome looks sick. I um I was watching some of the World Baseball Classics games there, or the the USA games, or the the World Games, or whatever. Yeah, at WBC. Yeah, the uh, because I saw I remember Joe Adele for the the Halos hit like a massive oppo bomb in in the Tokyo Dome. Yeah, the ball flies. Yeah, dude, he hit a bomb opposite field. That was nice, dude. That Japanese experience. What an awesome experience that was, man. I I, uh, I was happy that you got to really do that because it seemed like you were really looking for um, an opportunity to just just needed play a place really. to play. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, and you, dude, you love the game. So I mean, that's, yeah, that's what really was neat about it. you. Got to play semi professional baseball out there. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. Getting paid to play. That's cool. Something I'll take with me. Definitely. All right, buddy. Well. Let's dive into this last segment I've been working on. I, I was mentioning to you, bring, when I bring out my guests, I'm doing this new thing. I'm the vicious minute, dude. I woke, minute. A, I woke up in a cold sweat thinking about it last <laughs> night. Dude. So we're calling it the vicious minute, all right? And yeah. it's basically like with, with PTI, how they do, they basically spend 30 minutes talking about sports and they get points for making the best arguments. And then at the end, the winner with the most points gets to have like a minute or two to talk about whatever they want. So on Vicious Talk, I'm offering an opportunity for my guests to either talk about whatever they want for about a minute or two, or we could do some trivia. And John, we're, we're going to do some trivia. trivia. We're I might have a little something to say at the end, though. All right. But question number one, buddy. Yeah. Hit me. Who was the first major league player to pitch a ball over 100 miles per hour? A. Over Nolan, 100? Yeah. I'll give you four okay. options. Okay. Nolan, Nolan Ryan, Dwight Gooden, Roger Clemens, or Tom Seaver? Nolan Ryan. You got that one right. I, let's let me go. Get, let, me get you a, let me get you a ding here. Next question, buddy. Mm-hmm. You're one for one. Good start. So question number two. Who was the first relief pitcher elected to the Hall of Fame? Dennis Eckersley, Raleigh Fingers, Goose Gossage, or Hoyt Wilhelm? Oh, dude. I, wa- I want to go with uh, Gossage. Ah, it's not. Ah, Eckersley. Nah, it's it's Hoyt Wilhelm. Ah, dude, you you go, you go back into like the 1900s (laughs) on me. This is old one. So Hoyt Wilhelm was nearly 30 years old when he entered the major leagues, and he pitched until he was nearly 50. This is why I I like this this one because yeah, who pitches to their 50? That's wild. So he's probably throwing like 500 innings a year too. He retired with one of the lowest earned. Uh, career earned run averages of 2.52 in baseball history. 2.52. I got him up right here. Oh, this guy shoved it. Right? <laughs> yeah. But you're right. I mean, I, he, had a 20 year, he had a 20 year career. <laughs> that was a tricky one. <laughs> <Dude. That> was <laughs> <tricky>. <laughs> I got you though. We'll, we'll make it up. All right. Question number three. What MLB player holds the record for the most consecutive games with a strikeout? Babe Ruth, Adam Dunn, Aaron Judge, or Chili Davis? I think it's Adam Dunn. 
I was wrong. Sorry. Oh, dude. <laughs> it was uh, Aaron Judge in 2017. Uh, dude, he might have broke Adam Dunn's record. Yeah, he did. So it was Aaron Judge. He put together a rookie season that thrust him into the AL MVP contention. He hit uh, his slash line was 284, 422, 627. Great rookie season with 52 home runs, 140, uh, 114 RBIs. Set a single season record for homers by a rookie, broke later by um, Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso. But Judge's propensity for striking out nearly derailed his campaign. He struck out in 37 consecutive games across July and August, setting in an all time record. He would prop. He would probably rather forget. All right, buddy. Next, question number four, one for three. Let's get you some points. What MLB pl- <laughs> what MLB player holds the record for the most games played with no World Series appearances? Joe Torre, Ken Griffey Jr., Rafael Palmero, or Ichiro Suzuki? Ooh, I'm gonna go Palmero. There you go, buddy. You got that one. Rafael Palmero. I was, he played in 2,831 games for the Cubs, Texas Rangers, and Baltimore Orioles. He was named to the MLB All-Star team four times and won the gold glove three times, but he never made it to the World Series. Wow. I was going to go Griffey, but then he, he was injured during a lot of part of his career a lot. Yeah. yeah. With the Reds and, and the White Sox and then the Mariners at the end, he, I mean, dude, his career just was, was sad at the end. Another pool host. <laughs> no bad speed. <laughs> All right. Question number five. We're two for four. Okay. Bat, okay. Batting 500. Batting four. Yeah. It's not bad. That's a, that's a solid, that's a solid start. What pitcher threw the only no hit game in world series history? Nolan Ryan, Sandy Koufax, Don Larson, or Bob Gibson? Sandy Koufax. Nah, it was Don Larson. Damn. Don Larson of the New York Yankees in 1956 of the New York Yankees through a perfect game in game five of that year's world series against the Brooklyn Dodgers. Uh, Koufax, I think had a no hitter in a different postseason game. I don't think it was the world series. Yeah. All right. That was some of the baseball questions for you. We're going to dive into some of these other topics that are more catered to your, your, your life and, and some okay. of that you've gone through. All right. Okay. All right. So this, I, I hope you get this one for for your work's sake. All right. So, okay. Okay. In, in what year did Kyle body and the rest of his team start driveline baseball? Ah, oh, good oh, question. Yeah, yeah dude, that, that there's just some discrepancy here. Uh, oh, really? All right. A little bit. I'm going to, I'm going with 2009. Is that what you had? I had 2008 is that 2008 was listed on the website, but so tell me about this then. What's it? Yeah. So, um, Kyle used to work at Microsoft and he started doing like baseball work, I think in 2007, but he didn't like officially start driveline, um, until 2008, 2009. Uh, the reason I answered 2009 is because last year we had a decade of data campaign where like we made, uh, Lululemon, like Lululemon shirts and stuff with the, uh, like 0919, basically like 2019. So 2009 to uh, 2019. But I know that we had been alive since before then. Okay. That's a good, that's a good question though. I only went with 2008 because I was listed, I was listed on the website. If it's on the website, it's true. <laughs> I'll give you that one though, dude. You knew okay. it. You knew it. So we're three, we're three for six. We're batting 500. Okay. All right. All right. So I told you, we're going to talk about the NPB a little bit, the, the Nippon oh. Professional Baseball League. So can you name me, Six out of the 12 teams in the Nippon Professional Baseball League in Japan. Six Tokyo Giants. One. Cebu Lions. Two. The Tigers. Koshin Tigers. Three. Uh, Nippon Ham Fighters. Four. 
Rakuten Eagles. Five. Um, oh, dude. The Eagles. Last one. Last one. Uh, SoftBank Hawks. There you go. You got six, dude. That's it. Um, no, I can keep, I think I can keep, keep going, going. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, SoftBank Hawks. Uh, <laughs> no, that, that's all I got. All right. I'll, I'll list the rest of them for you. So we got the... Uh, dude, I, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce these names. You'd be better yeah. at than me. So you got the Giants, the Dragons, the Swallows, Tigers, Carp, the Bay Stars, the Fighters, the Eagles, the Hawks, Lions, Marines, and the Buffalo. So really, yeah, the yeah. only ones that I knew were the the, the Yomiuri Giants. That, that pronounced That's right. the Tokyo Giants. Yeah, Yomiuri. Okay. So the Giants. I knew about the Tigers. I knew about the Nippon Ham Fighters because that's who Otani played for. Yeah, uh, I knew I knew about the Golden Eagles because I remember um, Eric Dames played for them. Yeah, and um, I remember the Oryx Buffaloes because Ichiro Suzuki played for them. Oryx. Yeah, but that's I'm I'm glad you got that one. So you know a little bit about the NPB. Yeah. All right. Next Japanese question here: Who was the first Japanese player to play in an American League World in an American World Series? Hideo Nomo, Tsuyoshi Shinho, Shinho, Hideki Matsui, or Shigatoshi Hasegawa? Hell of a question, dude. I'll go with Matsui. I'm going with Matsui. Dude, that was close. He was the second, I think, for the Yankees. Ah. It was uh, Tsuyoshi Shinho. And this is a little bit of a trick question because he played for the Giants in 2002, but he only had six at-bats. So Ah. I I was trying to find a better one to get no more Matsui there, but... Yeah, uh, that's a good question, though. Yeah, He, he played in 2002 for the Giants against the Halos. Uh, he was a second Japanese-born player to play in Major League Baseball. He played in three seasons, 303 games, and he appeared in the 2002 World Series with the Giants. He went one for six with three strikeouts against the Halos. That's how he played, though. Six at-bats isn't bad in a World Series. Right. All right, buddy. We're, we got the last two questions. What are we? Um, I got four, four for I eight. think. Four for eight. I got so about 500. 500. Come on. Yeah. It's a, you're, I think you beat. So my, my first round was with my cousin, Mikey. I think you beat him already, or you tied him. I think he had four. So where you at, Mikey? <laughs> All right, buddy. Question number nine. We're 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 gonna dive into. So you're you're living in Washington right now, right? Yeah, the we'll Maple talk, Maple Valley. Let's talk a little bit about Washington here. So the state of Washington produces the most of this fruit than any other state in the U.S. This is their biggest fruit product. Okay, export apples, pears, oranges, or kumquats. <laughs> Dude, apples, that's pears, a good question. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with. I'm gonna go with apples. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, because it's the apple cup. When the, when Washington plays Washington State, it's the apple cup. Is what it's called. Yep. You got. You yeah. got it. It's the apples. All right. Five for five for nine, buddy. Batting over five hundred. All right. Last question. Another another Washington question. This is about the city of Seattle. I know you're in Kent, so you're not really close to Seattle, but. Seattle's the biggest. Get up city. there, yeah. yeah. So since 1981, what's the what's Seattle's official nickname? What's the what's the city of Seattle's nickname? The Emerald City, baby. All right. I don't even need the multiple choice. <laughs> you got it. All right, six for Ted, buddy. I like it. That's six hundred. That, that was fun. Yeah, you're, you're our leading scorer on the vicious minute in trivia. You, you gotta let me know if I get dethroned. <laughs> I'll let I'll when you get dethroned, if you get dethroned, I'll bring you back on. We'll do another. Yeah, 100 <laughs> percent All right, buddy. Thanks for joining me for the podcast. Had a, had a lot of fun catching up. No worries, man. Uh vicious minute. I'm the leader right now. <laughs> Just gotta say one thing. Yeah, if give me, you give are me. if you are a middle schooler in the greater Los Angeles area and you're male, you're looking for a high school to go to. 
There's only one choice. You got to you got to go Loyola High School. It's the number one high school in the country. They used to tell me and you that when we went there, and it holds true. Every year, I get a little bit older. I look back at my experience at Loyola, and I realize that it actually is the best high school in the country. They're remodeling stuff now. Uh, the information you get exposed to, the opportunities that are there, the way they combine the um, community service with athletics, with academics, with extracurricular activities is second to none. If you are in the greater Los Angeles area, please strongly consider going to Loyola High School, even if you're commuting. I used to come from Palos Verdes. Oh, yeah. Ben comes all the way from Covina, uh, Montebello. Covina. Ben comes from Covina. Give you a little point of reference. Uh, Covina and Palos Verdes are probably <laughs> 90 minutes away from each other with no traffic. Uh, so we're meeting in the middle there. People come from Manhattan Beach, Pasadena, as far as Riverside. Best high school in the country. Do yourself a favor, apply and go change, there. And change our lives for sure. Changes it will change your life, hundred percent. I wouldn't. I would not have gone to the school, I, a college I went to without Loyola. I would not have been the man I am today without Loyola. Hundred percent, baby. I love that, dude. That was a great vicious minute. Thank you. All right, John. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, buddy. My pleasure, man. My pleasure. All right. Thanks again so much to John Sotteropoulos. Had a great time recording the podcast. I hope you all enjoyed listening. All right, so let's talk a little bit about some NFL football coming up. We got week six games coming on Sunday. Um, really just wanted to share some thoughts here because there's just so much going on uh, leading into this week six. There's been so many moving pieces. Who's healthy? Who's not? Who's got COVID? Which teams are going to be able to play this week? It's just so many moving pieces in. Let's start with the injuries here because really that, the, that's been the story of the 2020 football season. I mean, Dak Prescott's brutal ankle injury last week was just just heartbreaking for the league in general. I mean, you just never want to see a guy suffer such a gruesome injury in general and let alone just an outstanding person Dak Prescott is and always outspoken for social justice issues and so many great causes, a great spokesman for the league. Um, I'm sure that all football fans are really hoping that he's going to come back strong. Um, from this injury and have a great comeback. So also just around the league, just so many injuries. They're really having an impact on this year's power rankings and, and team success. I mean, NFL handicapping this year has just been incredibly unpredictable. And if the best NFL handicappers this year have to be monitoring injury, injury reports heading into Sunday mornings, as well as practice and game preparation routines leading into games. And they got to be coming for overall trends in the league in order to capitalize on value in gambling and in fantasy football. Um, really, so, some trends I wanted to touch on that I, I've been seeing personally across the league this year. First off, against the spread, away teams right now are going have gone 42 and 35 on the season. That's 54.5% against the spread of the away teams have won. So what does that tell us? So basically, in, from my interpretation, this tells us that the home field advantages this year are being reflected too much in game lines early on. It's looking like home field advantage right now is being weighted at about a point to a point and a half in most spreads. Uh, normally with full stadiums and fans, home field is about three points depending on the arena and the fans. So it is possible right now that even with the one and a half to two point reduction in home field advantage, still it's not enough. Right now, I, I'm going to continue to ride this hot trend of road, te- road teams against the spread until I see some regression to the mean on, on this. And also another spread to monitor over and under. So right now, Connor and I, Connor Larson and I have talked on previous podcasts that the overs may be something to monitor this year as, as a hot trend. And 
the overs right now are hitting at 56.6% after the first five weeks. So continue to bang overs this year until this trend starts to even out as well. I think that we're going to continue to see point totals rise in, in the league with the, the the lack of defense that we're seeing, difficulty in tackling, and the lack of preparation, I think, gives the advantage to the offense in terms of the offense versus defense matchups. So I think this trend of 56.6% of the overs hitting weekly, I, I think this is going to be kind of what we're going to see throughout the year if I had to, if I had to guess. So also the trade, the trade deadline in the NFL is two weeks out. Um, we got to be monitoring which teams are going to be looking to shed salary. I think the Atlanta Falcons are a team to maybe look at. They do have Julio Jones. If he is available, I think that the GMs need to be calling Atlanta to see if that's a possibility. Um, basically, we're looking at teams that are, are are out of it this year, aren't going to be contending, but also have a, a lot of committed salary cap towards next year. We're looking at possibly the Jets, Giants, Falcons, Washington, um, Jaguars, and maybe Cincinnati. Um, also, maybe Houston, Minnesota, Denver, Detroit. Um, all of these teams, I'm not saying that they're all eliminated. I'm just saying that if you're a contending team that is looking to make a push for this season, I'm looking at salary cap commitments towards next year because salary cap is going to be a crucial point in how NFL teams operate going forward, considering how the pandemic is going to impact this. So teams need to, are going to be monitoring their finances going forward increasingly so with the pandemic hitting their financials. And I think that teams really just are going to be going to spot track and checking which teams have the most committed dollars towards next season. And if I'm a GM for a team looking to acquire talent, I'm calling those teams that are potentially looking to shed salary and basically paying a picture for them saying that your team may be in trouble next year and, and for years to come if you don't shed salary this year or soon. So I think there's some uh, value to be had. If I'm a GM, I'm definitely calling Atlanta to see if Julio Jones is available. So look at which teams are projected to be over or near the salary cap for next season. Are they contending this year? No. So if they're not, call, call their GM. All right. Also, some big news in the NFL. Le'Veon Bell was released by the New York Jets and then quickly signed in Kansas City. My question here is, are we sure that the New York Jets asked around about Le'Veon Bell? Are we sure they actually tried to trade them, trade him like they said they were? There was a brief, like maybe a few hours where they, the report was out that they were looking for trades on Le'Veon Bell. And then quickly, the report changed to Le'Veon Bell has been released. Were there really not any teams w- that were willing to give up a seventh round pick for the guy? Like, the Jets could have paid his $6 million that they're already on the hook for anyways and sent him to Buffalo or Miami and got gotten the pick in return. It's these types of instances, in my opinion, that make the Jets such a miserable organization. Like They're just so unlikely to improve anytime soon in any sort of drastic sense of the measure. If they don't make decisions that get them... like That's just an asset they just pissed away. They're paying Le'Veon Bell $6 million regardless of whether or not he plays on their team this year. That's a fact. Whether or not they could have gotten an, a seventh-round pick for him, I have, I have a hard time agreeing they couldn't. I mean, he was released, and then in less than 12 hours, there were, there were reports that about three NFL teams were interested in his services. Kansas City, Miami, and Buffalo. He goes to Kansas City. The team ranked first or second in anyone's NFL power rankings right now. And his skill set was good enough for the NFL's basically best offense to bring him in. So you're telling me that the Jets couldn't get 
anything for Le'Veon Bell. Anything. I, I, I tell you, I refuse to believe that. I mean, they just didn't try hard enough on this. Le'Veon's going to KC, and it's going to be a good bump for his fantasy football value. And it, from a fantasy perspective, it's gonna, it's, it looks like it's going to hurt Clyde Edwards Hilaire a little bit. At least in terms of his potential week to week, the volume is going to dip, no doubt. So as an owner, I actually own both running backs in my fantasy football league. I'm hoping that Kansas City could figure out some of their struggles in the running game with now two lead backs in Le'Veon Bell and Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. They're both going to be contributors, I hope, both in a real sense in football and fantasy football. So I don't really know what to say if I'm fantasy sense if you own both of them like I do. It's a tough situation. So Kansas City has an extremely average rushing. Uh, they have extremely average rushing statistics this year. They're rushing the ball about 26.4 times a game. That's 39.88% of the time. Their rushing rates, their rushing rate ranks 18th in the NFL this year, which is right around where they were last season. I'm not incredibly hopeful of any sort of drastic improvements to the running game right now by adding just an aging Le'Veon Bell. Uh, but I don't think it's going to hurt. So people have been kind of writing off Le'Veon Bell for his efficiency and lack of explosiveness. But in 2020, despite the small sample size, just the two games so far, he has 3.9 yards per attempt. If he had enough volume thus far to qualify, that would rank him amongst Miles Gaskin, David Montgomery, Devin Singletary, and Antonio Gibson. Le'Veon's yard after, yards after contact average this year is 2.3 yards. Amongst qualified rushers this year, that would rank him amongst Ezekiel Elliott, Melvin Gordon, Chris Carson, and Daryl Henderson. So. These aren't great stats I'm, I'm naming you off here, but I'm not saying he, what I'm saying is he's not washed. He's not the absolute stud number one overall fantasy football selection he once was, but the twilight of his career, the potential he still has to produce in the NFL cannot be overlooked. I think from a, from a pure football standpoint, this is going to make Ken, the Kansas City Chiefs offense just unfair. Like easily the best offense in the NFL with the most weapons to attack defenses from any direction. It's going to be very impressive. So look out for the Kansas City Chiefs. I mean, the reigning Super Bowl champs are just getting stronger. So the NFL's on notice. Make some trades. All right, let's look at the week slate of games. Week six, week six slate of games. Um, I, got, I had a couple I wanted to highlight here. Let's look at Pittsburgh and Cleveland. Pittsburgh minus three in this matchup. Really, the injuries are the story here. The Browns are banged up. Baker has bad ribs. Baker Mayfield, that is. OBJ. Odell Beckham Jr. sent home during the week with an undisclosed illness. They said he felt better. I haven't seen him practice yet this week. Nick Chubb still out with the bum knee. The Browns are banged up. So the key matchup here is going to be Cleveland's offense versus Pittsburgh's defense. The Browns are right now third in the NFL in scoring. They had no Chubb last week, yet they still managed to put up 32 points against the top-ranked DVOA defense in the Indianapolis Colts. So kudos to them a little bit. Temper those expectations because the Browns did have two interceptions. One of them was a 47-yard pick six. Phillip Rivers really just pissed that game away. So the Browns did get that game handed on a silver platter by Phillip Rivers himself a little bit. But the key to the Browns in that one was the the first half when they responded to an early Colts touchdown with an almost seven-minute drive of their own that ended up in a hunt touchdown reception on third and goal. Um, And their next possession, they had about a four-minute 75-yard drive highlighted by the 26-yard Odell Beckham Jr. catch and a Rashard Higgins touchdown reception. Um, The Browns are looking pretty good at rolling into this one. So the Browns have been pretty good in the red zone this year. Right now, they rank fifth in NFL red zone touchdowns. 
The Browns are leading the league in rushing by a lot right now. They are 138 yards ahead of the second-ranked Baltimore Ravens. Still, no Nick Chubb. Will they try to pound the ball with Kareem Hunt and Dearness Johnsons against the Steelers, who rank second in the league behind Tampa Bay in rushing yards allowed per attempt at 3.3? I believe they're second in defense DVOA or maybe fourth, something around there. Um, but the Pittsburgh offense on the other side of the football has has kind of just been average across the board, getting by really on some great defense and just some passable offense. They rank in right now in the middle of all the, basically all the advanced offense statistics and rankings. They're 21st in yards per play, 14th in expected points, 20th in total points, 15th in percentages of drives ending in scores. They're mediocre to average in almost every offensive statistic. So the question I ask you, does the emergence of Chase Claypool last week open up their offense a little bit more? And I think also another question, will the addition of Deontay Johnson, not this week, but maybe next week, he's out again this week with some back, some back issues, um, but will that help them even more? So Johnson out this week, but Claypool is in there starting. I like Chase Claypool as a fantasy option this week, um, at the very least as a flex option with, with a possibility of a big breakout week. So he did score four touchdowns last week. Jesus. But um, last week, Roethlisberger tar- targeted Claypool 11 times. He had seven receptions, 110 yards, and three touchdowns. He actually had, he had a, a, sorry, a fourth rushing touchdown. And he even had a fifth, um, he had a fifth touchdown that was called back because of a penalty. So Deontay Johnson has been dealing with the back injury, but Clay, Chase Claypool's emergence seems to be legitimate. And He's going to bring a, a crucial dynamic to this incredibly bland style of offense in Pittsburgh. I think Chase Claypool's legit. They drafted him very high. He has a pedigree of a premier receiver. Ben Roethlisberger has raved about him. I am high on Chase Claypool um, after his last week breakout. The Steelers are also getting a big return in their center, Marquise Pouncey. Um, guard David DeCastro is still out, but Pouncey is a crucial return to their offensive line. I like the Steelers' offense to begin hitting their stride or continue to hit their stride after last week's solid performance, and, and they're just getting healthier now. So look for James Conner to have a big fantasy weekend with the addition of Maurice Pouncey and that offensive line revitalized a little bit. I'm picking the Steelers minus three in this game. All right, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. Green Bay favored by about a point here. Um, in this game, give me the over and the 55-point total, and I ever so slightly lean Green Bay against the spread. I feel like if the Buccaneers had a quarterback with Tom Brady's skill set right now, but but his name wasn't Tom Brady, that this line would be Green Bay minus two, maybe Green Bay minus three. I feel like the Buccaneers last week had a really terrible game against Chicago last Thursday, um, and they weren't really downgraded much at all, if any. And Chicago wasn't upgraded at all, if any, really, in anybody's power rankings from what I've seen. So I guess people are kind of just chalking it up to being a weird Thursday night game. Uh, and I kind of in that same boat, really. Um, so I'm not really punishing either team in, from that thir- that Thursday night Buccaneers Chicago game from last week. But for this one, um, my logic behind the 55 point over, um, Devontae Adams is coming back here for Green Bay, the number one receiver for Aaron Rodgers in that Green Bay passing attack, and um, they just got healthy over the week off, and that's only going to help their offense. My gut tells me Green Bay is a better team of the two here. Um, but here are my concerns with with the Green Bay Packers and, and their success in this one. So Tampa, for Tampa Bay, Chris Godwin is coming back for the Bucs. Um, Mike, Ed- Mike Evans has no injury designation. Ronald Jones has been running the ball well. Leonard Fournette might be coming back. They're getting reasonably healthy. So 
the skill the skill players for the Bucks are, are they're starting to do they're starting to do well. I'm not convinced Green Bay's defense will be able to slow t- Tampa Bay down really at all unless they they could pressure Tom Brady. Um, Brady Brady he he did this in his fi- final few seasons with the Patriots where if he smell it just smells just the hint of a defensive lineman getting close to him he just goes down and he's he, what he's doing is he's pacing himself to peak in the postseason and he's he started doing it with the Patriots for his, la- his last few years in New England and. Look, he's 43 years old and he's hesitant to let a huge football player tackle him and potentially hurt him. I mean, can you blame the guy? I don't, but I really feel like this is going to be the Achilles heel heel for Tampa Bay, at least in the in the regular season. Um, Brady just does is not doing well un, under pressure. And so that seems to be the key in, in beating and in, installing this Tampa Bay offense. But um, I don't know that Green Bay can do it. I don't know that Green Bay is able to rush the passer, passer well enough to to really put any sort of pressure on on Tom Brady, but we'll see. Uh, my other concern for Green Bay, will the heat take a toll on them in Tampa on Sunday? So the, the high in Tampa is 88. It's going to be humid. Um, Green Bay has been practicing all week in Wisconsin. Temperatures likely in the 50s or so, I'm guessing, with much less humidity in Wisconsin. Will this be an issue? So the game's going to be at 425 p.m. Eastern. So the peak heat of the day will have passed by game time. It, it'll likely be a lot cooler in the second half. Temperatures expected to dip in the low 70s um, Sunday, Sunday night in Tampa. Um, so I'm not as worried about the Florida heat factoring into this game as, as much as I might be in the Detroit-Jacksonville game, maybe at 1 p.m. Eastern. In that game, I, I actually want to pick Detroit because um, I think they're the better team. But it's, And it seems like a lot of people are on Detroit in this game. But I'm actually leaning a little bit towards Jacksonville because I do think that the, he will play a big factor, especially in the second half of that game. Um, other than that, in, in this Green Bay-Tampa game, to wrap it up, I mean, Green Bay's defense has been really bad. They're ranked 29th in DVOA, first in offense. Um, Green Bay, that is. But Tampa Bay is 11th in offense, sec- second in defense. Two good teams in this one. Should be a great game. I predict both offenses are going to be putting up points here. And I'm confident in the over in this one, over over 55. The game's going to be a coin flip. I, if I had to pick, like I said, I'm leaning Green Bay a little bit, but really I'm looking forward to a great game here. All right, San Francisco, LA. The Rams are favored by three points um, in Levi Stadium in uh, Silicon Valley. 49ers looked terrible last week. I'm taking the Rams in this one, minus three. If someone wanted to make an argument for the Rams being the best team in the NFL, I wouldn't laugh at them. I mean, they're the main reason why the NFC East is, is as bad as it is. They've beaten everybody in the NFC East. Cowboys, Eagles, Giants, and Washington. They beat them all. They're the main reason why that, that division sucks. And they lost to the Bills in a good close game. Easily their most competitive opponent of the year. Um, but the Rams have just been so solid week in and week out. The combined DVOA rankings as well as the professional handicappers. Steve Fezzik, someone who I listen to a lot for gambling advice. They both ranked the Rams fourth in their power rankings overall after after the first five weeks. So the Rams have been throwing the ball really well lately. They've tied, uh, they're tied currently with the Packers for the most net yards gained per passing attempt right now. Goff has been throwing off play action with a- accuracy and decisiveness. I like the chances of that continuing this week, especially considering the 49ers are missing all of their best pass rushers still. Joey Bosa, Solomon. And they let Ryan Fitzpatrick last week throw for 350 yards and three touchdowns. So the 49ers defense is not slowing down any sort of passing attack right now. The 49ers offense was straight abysmal last week. I'm not convinced Jimmy Garoppolo is 100% healthy yet. Um, I'm not convinced Debo Samuel is 100% healthy and back yet. So 
He just didn't look right. Neither did last week um, in last week's game. It's going to take a drastic turnaround in one week for them to keep up in LA. And this one, I don't see that happening. So I'm taking the Rams minus three, one of my best bets of the week. All right, Dallas, Arizona. Cardinals are favored in this one, laying a point and a half. So I'm taking Dallas plus one and a half points here. And I'm taking the over on 55 in this one. If Andy Dalton is just 75% of Dak Prescott, the Cowboys offense is going to be just fine. It looks like Dallas has, downgrade, has been downgraded about three points this week from the last. And I just don't see why besides this Dalton thing and, and the hang up people have with him. So Dalton's probably the best backup quarterback in the league. Probably. I mean, he's never been on a team with so many offensive weapons. I mean, he was in Cincinnati for so long. He never had any sort of offense that resembled this kind of offensive firepower. He he put up some reasonable numbers in Cincinnati for a decent amount of years. I mean, he was working with much less in, uh, out in, with the Bengals. So I think Dalton is both a, real, a good real-life backup as well as a fantasy backup for Dak Prescott um, and for fantasy football owners as well. So I do like Dalton's and, and potential for his uh, good performance here for the, for the Cowboys. Um, on the Arizona side of the football, Chandler Jones is out. Um, this defense was already banged up. They continue to have the deck stacked against them, and I think they'll struggle again this week. Arizona's inability to run the ball effectively on offense doesn't bode well for them against Dallas. Uh, both these teams are amongst the league leaders in plays run this season. I think Dallas is number one, Arizona maybe two or three. Um, there are likely to be a lot of points in this one, so I, I do like the Cowboys and the win in the shootout. Uh, look for uh, a lot of points in this one. It uh, should be a good Monday night game. All right, the other Monday night game, last one we'll talk about here, Kansas City and Buffalo. Kansas City right now I'm seeing is looking at minus five. Chiefs are favored by about five points. My pick em pool, I got three and a half. Um, minus K- Kansas City minus three and a half. So seeing this line shift a little bit towards Kansas City, looks like people are put, putting money on them. This is a really interesting one for me, and I don't really think it's smart to put uh, a pick on this one until you see the injury reports on Sunday morning. Um, this line may continue to move up until game time, just depending on injuries. Um, the Buffalo Bills are are looking at a p- potential bundle of players sitting out um, due to injury. It looks like a number of them are going to be playing. Tredavious White being the n- the name that everybody's looking at um, on defense. Buffalo is going to need him to have any sort of chance against this just ferocious Kansas City Chiefs passing attack. Um, the Chiefs. They, they're coming off a loss, and I like their chances to come out big and, and come out firing for this one and really um, re- regain that number one that number one status in the NFL um, that teams look up to it, it, this year as, as the reigning Super Bowl champs and possibly, probably the best team in the NFL this year. So um, the Bills did get lit up on Tuesday night last week. Clearly, they're just not a Tuesday night team, and, and nobody is really. That was the first Tuesday night game in almost a century. I'm chalking that game up to just being a weird Tuesday. Um, Tennessee looked great after the COVID break, but I'm personally not going to knock or ground downgrade the Bills for losing to a well-rested, well-prepared Tennessee team last Tuesday. Um, really, on this one, the, the story is you got to check the injury report on Monday. It looks like most of Bu- Buffalo's questionable players are leaning towards playing. Tredavious White is going to be huge for Buffalo, whether or not he plays. I think this line at minus five is tipping a little bit too far, too far towards Kansas City. I might take Kansas City up to about minus three and a half where I had them initially in my pick pool. Uh, but with Buffalo looking reasonably healthy for this one, I think Buffalo has some value at plus five in this one. All right, final, final topic, daily fantasy. Let's talk a little bit of daily fantasy football here. Last week results, Connor and I have been doing our picks. 
I scored 152.72 points. I just edged Connor out. Connor had 136.62. We both banked in heavily on the Teddy Bridgewater, Robbie Anderson combo, uh, as well as I had Adam Thielen, Connor with Kareem Hunt, Tyree Kill. So both had good weeks. I think we both came in the money in a, a number of different daily fantasy pools that we were in. So um, this week's picks, Connor uh, sent me his. Is going with Ryan Tannehill, Miles Gaskin, Philip Lindsay, Calvin Ridley, Adam Thielen, AJ Brown, Mark Andrews, Scotty Miller in the flex, and the Dolphins defense. Um, I myself, I'm going Andy Dalton. I've already kind of said how much I like Dalton this week and, and the Cowboys offense to look um, reasonably similar to how they've been with Dak. Um, I do like, I, I want Andy Dalton, David Montgomery. I like him for a big game. Miles Gaskin as well as with Connor. Um, I went with Devontae Adams, his first game back in that Green Bay offense. I like Rodgers to look his his way early and often in this one. Jamison Crowder, possibly the most underutilized, underappreciated, underrated fantasy football player this year. Guy just has been putting up monster, monster games. Day, every game he suits up. Um, give me Jason, Jamison Crowder in, in my wide receiver two spot. And then I'm going to go with Chase Claypool coming off the four touchdown game last week starting with Deontay Johnson out this week for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Chase Claypool going to get some more run this week. I like him to continue his hot stretch. At tight end, I'm going with Johnny Smith. I like Johnny Smith. Uh, I just This was a pure value play for me. I think Johnny Smith, possibly the fourth best tight end, um, ranked around a fifth or sixth or seventh or so in daily fantasy rankings right now. So I, I really just like Johnny Smith's value here. The volume's going to be there for him. I'd like him for a, a good game this week. And then I ended up just going with David, David Johnson in my flex, the Houston running back. Unlo- unleashed a little bit last week with Bill, Bill O'Brien's firing, the new, new head coach and offensive sc- scheme coming in. Uh, David Johnson went for 96 yards, played well last week. I'd like him to continue that trend going forward. I think he has a good matchup this week against Tennessee. So, again, that's... For me, I have Andy Dalton, David Montgomery, Miles Gaskins, Devontae Adams, Jamison Crowder, Chase Claypool, Johnny Smith, David Johnson, and the Jaguars defense. I went with the Jaguars defense because of, I mentioned that the heat in in Florida this weekend, Jacksonville expected to be hot and humid. I like the Jags defense to maybe capitalize on some turnovers in the second half, maybe a defensive touchdown as well. Detroit not known for their superb ball protection skills, so. Um, I do like the Jaguars to defense to maybe score some points. Um, definitely worth the value uh, on a dart throw here on my defense. So, all right, that's going to do a wrap. That's going to be a wrap here for vicious talk. Episode 42. Thanks so much for listening today. Uh, hope you enjoyed our conversation, my conversation with John, John, thanks so much for joining me for the, on the podcast. Uh, sorry again for the delay in posting it really wanted to make sure this came out. Well, I think it did. So, Thanks, everybody, for listening. That was episode 42 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Go follow us on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Follow All Things Analysis on Twitter, Snap, sorry, not Snapchat, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram. Subscribe on the website, allthingsanalysis.com. You can check out all the new articles and podcasts we post on there. All right, that's a wrap for episode 42 of Vicious Talk with Benny P. Thanks again so much for listening. Remember to ask yourself at the end of the day, Are you vicious?